been when your servants, well, we've all got servants in our homes, I'm, I'm sure, when your servants were allowed to have the day off to go back to their mother church. So it's the mothering day, and, and you'd go back to the church where you grew up. And basically one of those great days, because you go back to the same church, you catch up with your family, it's a big family day. Um, but first of all, it's not so much about celebrating family and mothers as it was about celebrating the church in which you grew up. Um, there's a wonderful quote that I, that I learned maybe 11 years ago from Cyprian of Carthage. And he said, you cannot have God for father if you don't have the church for mother. And it overstates it a little bit, but, but isn't that just the truth that, that together the church is, in a sense, our mother. We, we are nurtured in the church. We, we are fed. We, we grow. Um, so, so in a sense, can I encourage all the mothers that you are all like the church in a way. Um, and what a great vocational calling to be like the church to your family. That's fantastic. Um, and from such a wonderful, light, breezy topic such as mothers and mothering churches, let's speak about hell. <laughs> but let's read a bit of the Bible first because that's always a good idea. Luke chapter 13, if you turn with me. <clears throat> and we're going to have a look at verse 22 to verse 30. And we'll pray. Lord, thank you for mothers. Thank you that you've given them to us, Lord. Thank you also that you've given us the church, Father, and that in the church we can learn of you and we can, we can find out about you and we can grow in our knowledge of you and we can grow into the fullness of who you are together. Lord, I pray now that as we look at this topic of hell, Lord, if we're honest, we'd rather not. Lord, if we're honest, this isn't a topic that we like. It's not something we, we feel comfortable talking about to ourselves, let alone people outside. But Jesus, you spoke about it. And Lord God, we need to know. So I would just ask that you would open our hearts and our ears, Lord, and, and our minds that we would take it in, that we would understand hell for ourselves and, and that we'd actually see it in the light of who you are. And, and Lord, that instead of being something that stops us from sharing the good news with people, Lord, I, I pray that hell becomes something which encourages us to, to tell others about you and to disciple them along the narrow path. Lord, if there are any barriers which have gone up just at the mention of hell, I pray that you would break them down. Holy Spirit, please speak through my mouth and open the hearts and the ears of the people here and, and my hearts and here as well. Amen. Luke chapter 13, verse 22, a very well-known passage. Jesus is going through the towns and the villages and teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And somebody asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Have you ever noticed, by the way, when somebody asks Jesus a question, he rarely gives them an answer to that exact question. He kind of gives a broader answer. It's kind of his thing. Instead of just saying yes or no, he says, well. 
So, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, well, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I, try, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, well, we ate and, and we drank with you and, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you who do evil. And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and, and they'll take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And, and indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Just as an aside, that, that little bit, the first will be last and the last will be first. I, I just noticed this week, it, it doesn't say all the first will be last and all the, first, and all the last will be first. It says some who are now first will be last and some who are now last will be first. In other words, where you rank in this world doesn't really match up to eternity so much. But let's get back to the main topic of, of hell. I, I reckon that if you were to go and ask the man on the street, what do you think of hell? What, what would their response be? I think for most people their response would be, Pizza. I like it. Hell is pizza in New Zealand. There's quite a good pizza shop in Secret Harbor. <laughs> Hell is pizza in New Zealand. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Fire and flames and brimstone. What about if you go to somebody and say, only those who believe in Jesus are going to heaven. I got a quote from somebody. He said, uh, he was asked this question. He said, I cannot believe that all these other people are going to hell just because they don't believe in Jesus. In fact, I cannot reconcile the very idea of hell with a loving God, even if he is holy too. Isn't this one of the great objections that people have to Christianity? This fact that there is a hell. If God is so nice, if God is so loving, if God cares for us so much, how on earth could he consign this good man over here, or woman, this good woman to hell? And there are so many good people in our world. There are good people who are going to hell. That's what Christianity says. Because being good isn't good enough. Because none of us is really good enough. None of us matches up with God. And, and, and don't we even as, as Christians sometimes struggle with the idea of, of fellow humans suffering for all eternity? I have a, a fantastic friend getting married in two weeks' time. He's a good man. He's one of, his, he's one of the best people I know. He's also a Muslim. 
Is it fair that the Bible says that he will be standing outside the door knocking? I am praying for him, by the way, and feel free to pray for him as well, because I don't want him there. And so we don't talk about hell. But it's actually one of those topics which is mentioned time and time again, and and it might surprise you, the person in the Bible who speaks the most about hell is actually Jesus. Jesus, who preaches the good news of the gospel and salvation and the kingdom of God and heaven come and, and the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus speaks about hell the most of any person in the Bible. And so if we want to speak about who Jesus is, if we want to speak about the message of Jesus, we have to speak about the, the truth about hell. C.S. Lewis has got a fantastic book, uh, The Problem of Pain. Um, and in that book he's got a chapter on hell, and, and he says in there, we've got a bit of a paradox. We have, and I'm quoting, a God so full of mercy that he becomes man and dies by torture to avert that final ruin form for his creatures. So Jesus is, is so full of mercy and love, God the Father, that he sends Jesus to die to save us from hell. And yet, where that heroic remedy fails, says Lewis, and yet where there are people who refuse Jesus, however that works, where they, where they don't become followers of Jesus, Christians, and so God is so full of mercy, uh, that, and yet when that heroic remedy fails, God seems unwilling or even unable to arrest the ruin by an act of mere power. And he summarizes, he says, here is the real problem. There is so much mercy, and yet there is still hell. God has done so much to prevent anyone from being cast out and thrown out, and yet there is still hell. Here in Luke chapter 13, we've got a few people coming to Jesus. Widely held assumption by the Jewish teachers and leaders that the whole nation of Israel would be saved. And Jesus is going around telling people, the only way to the Father is through me. The only way to be saved is through me. The only way to know God is through me. And, and lots of people are not coming to Jesus. And so the obvious question is, well, well will everyone be saved? Or to put it negatively, are only a few people going to be saved? And, and, and Jesus' answer is, is quite simple. He says, well, there will come a time when the door is closed. There will come a time when you can't be saved anymore. When it will be too late. And, and those who aren't saved at that stage will be outside and will be weeping, verse 27, and grinding their teeth and seeing all the good things, seeing all of God's people and not being there. And for the Jews, even more horrible because they'd be seeing all of us, the Gentiles in there, and they themselves are outside and Jesus says to them, I don't, I don't know you for those who are not in. 
So what is hell? We're going to jump around just a little bit and, and jump through the Bible and see what we can do. What is hell? Hell is not, as popular culture says, you're right, hell is not the devil in a red suit sitting in a fireplace dancing around. It's not like that. Um, and, and hell is also not the place where Satan is king. It's not the place where Satan rules and Satan decides what happens. Because if you think about it, if hell is where Satan is king, then hell is heaven for Satan. What does Satan want? Satan wants to be in charge. Satan wants to rule. Satan wants to have authority. Um, hell is not the place where Satan gets that authority. Satan is not king of hell. In fact, uh, we might see that Satan is destroyed in hell. Maybe. We'll see what we say about that. Um, hell's also not exactly parallel to heaven. We, we tend to think of heaven and hell as, as two opposites, but, but actually heaven is where it's at and hell is just outside. It's not like you've got the two balancing each other. Heaven is it. Hell is outside of heaven. Not parallel, just different. Um, the problem with hell, and in a sense it's the problem with heaven as well, is that they belong to a different dimension, a different reality at the moment. And so it's really, really difficult for us to describe in, in earthly words, words that fit our place where we are. It's, it's difficult to describe what hell is. And so when the Bible does it, it uses metaphors and images, and it speaks of fire, and it speaks of darkness. And, and, and by the way, it's obvious that these are metaphors, because if you have fire, you can't have darkness. Um, and yet the Bible speaks of hell as both fire and a place of darkness. It, it speaks about it as a place of punishment. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. This is um, what Jesus says, Matthew 25, 46. Um, same kind of thing. I will t- he, he will reply, Jesus, the owner will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they, those who are not in the kingdom of God, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. One of the words that the New Testament uses a lot for for hell is the word Gehenna, which is actually the name of the rubbish dump outside of Jerusalem, where they would throw their rubbish and burn it up, and and basically it it was the place that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament represents God's judgment on those who stood against Him. And so hell, says Jesus, is a place for punishment. Matthew 5, 21 says... You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder, and if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But, says Jesus, I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So, says Jesus, hell is a place of judgment and punishment. And by the way, it's not just if you do one of the biggie crimes. And I read a passage like that and think of all the times that I've called my brother an idiot. (laughs) Wow. Hell is also a place of destruction. Um, Have a look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Sorry, we are going to jump around a bit. Matthew 10, 
28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one of God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Read the rest of that passage because it's all about why we don't have to worry because God is on our side. But, but says Jesus there, hell is the place where God can destroy both body and soul. Hell is the place of destruction. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to destroy who we are? C.S. Lewis, it's always good to read. He says, in all of our experience, uh, the destruction of one thing means the emergence of another. In physics, we call this the law of the conservation of energy. Uh, The destruction of one thing means the emergence of something else. Burn a log and you have gas, heat, and ash. To have been a log means now being those three things. Um, If a soul can be destroyed, must there not be a state of having been a soul? And is it not that, perhaps the state, which is equally well described as torment, destruction, and privation? What on earth is Lewis saying? I think what he's saying is, and we'll come back to this a little bit and unpack it a bit in a second. Hell is the place where, in a sense, we are unmade. We don't disappear. It's not like all of a sudden you stop being you, but, but in a sense, you're not the same you you used to be. You, you, you are destroyed. And some of you are looking, oh. Violationist, are you, Nick? I want these guys to burn forever. Let me be clear, and, and hopefully it'll become clearer in about three minutes. Um, I'm not an annihilationist, but I think C.S. Lewis is onto something. The Bible does speak about hell being a place of destruction. And it's actually, I believe, a place where we become less human than we are now while still being the same person. I'll explain that to you uh, in a second. Well, maybe I'll explain it a little bit now. Matthew chapter 25, um, verses 34 to 41, says that the saved go to where a place made for them, go to heaven. But have a look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 42 this afternoon. And it's fascinating there. It says, those who are damned, those who do not go to heaven go to a place that was not made for them. Hell is a place that was made for the fallen angels and for Satan. It was not made for people, and yet those who reject God are sent there. To go to hell is to be banished from humanity. True humanity. It's to be less than what God made us to be. If you think about it, if we look at Jesus... We see perfect humanity. We see perfect God, God, God human. We see who God is totally, but we also see who we are. And isn't that the promise of Scripture all the way through, that one day we will be like Jesus? We will be all that God made us to be. 
And that's only if we are going to be with Him forever in eternity in the kingdom of God will we be made like Him, will we be made as we were meant to be, will be... We'll be looking at each other and going, Wow! I never realized that was what it meant to be human. But if you don't go to heaven, that doesn't happen. And, and I want to suggest that in fact, rather than becoming more like Jesus, we become less like Jesus. We become, our, our humanity in a sense is destroyed without destroying the person that we are. Let's move on. Hell is a place of, of isolation. It's a place where we are cast out. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Numbers 8 to 10. If you ever look there, even the old Levitical law code, the Jewish law code, if you were unclean, you were cast out of the camp. It's the same thing here. If, if we are unclean, in eternity, we, we are cast out of the presence of God, out of the presence of His people. It's, it's a lonely place. You remember the lepers having to cry, unclean, unclean. Nobody being allowed to come near them, them being unable to go anywhere. But most horrifically, hell is absence from God. Why were the people in that passage in Luke 13, weeping and gnashing their teeth, if not because they weren't allowed to be in the palace with God. We knew you, we knew you. I don't know you. And if God is the source of all good things, and hell is being away from God, not very nice. And the really weird thing is that people choose to go to hell. I don't choose to go to hell. I choose to be free. I don't need God. I will live my own life. Or Romans chapter 1, 21 to 25 says that we were made to live our lives for Jesus. But if instead we choose to live our lives for ourselves, we actually become enslaved. We become slaves to our freedom from God. If we, we, we think that if we would choose to glorify God and to live our whole lives for Him, then, then something of my greatness as a person would be diminished. I'm not going to lift up God's name. I'm not going to say how great God is because I want everyone to know how great I am. And so I will choose to freely live my life. I'm not a great dancer. I will choose to freely live my life. But you know what the... The horrible thing is that, that that's a delusion. 
Because the reality is that when we choose to live not for Jesus, but for ourselves, we cannot ever achieve what it means to be fully human. You can never be a great human if you're not really human. And if you want to be really human, you have to be like Jesus, because Jesus is the blueprint for what it means to be truly man, truly human, truly person. And so if I say I choose to live my own life and to stand on my own two feet, ultimately we are belittling ourselves. We are, we are choosing to, to ruin our human greatness. And, and as we know, that the sad thing is that, that every day people choose to live for themselves and not for God. And you know, the really interesting thing is that God allows us to do that. And if we say to God, I don't want anything to do with you for the whole of eternity, God allows that. Jesus said himself that people prefer darkness to the light. People don't want, ultimately, in hell, they don't want to be people of the light. You remember the story, the parable of Lazarus um, and the rich man? Uh, quick, I'll quickly summarize it for you. Rich man, Lazarus is a poor, destitute man at the gate. Both die, the rich man goes to hell, Lazarus goes to heaven and, and there's this big chasm between the two and the rich man looks across and yells out, Oi, Lazarus, you cretin, come across here and dip your finger in some water because I'm really, really thirsty. It's horrible here. And there's a whole story about actually you can't do this. Um, your, your earthly life has, has decided where you stand now in eternity. But you know the thing which strikes me about that story? Is that at no point does the rich man say, I really want to get to that side. As in his earthly life where he lorded it over Lazarus, so too in eternity his attitude is, I am the great one, I am the important one. Hoy Lazarus, you scumbag, come over here and serve me. And so in a sense, um, if I can put it this way, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Because as we retreat into ourselves and, and into my freedom and into, into being the greatest person I can be apart from God, we become less and less and less. And, and who God is, we, we, we just lock ourselves into this mode of being for me and for nobody else. Let's move on. Why, why would God create hell? Just three quick reasons. God created hell because human dignity demands that there be a hell. If there were no eternal consequences for our actions, then our life here would be meaningless. 
And actually, God pays us an incredible compliment by treating our actions as significant. And so what we do now has an effect for all of eternity. Why would God create hell? Well, because God is a just God. And and we look at evil in the world and we say it must be punished. How much more so doesn't God look at evil in the world and say this is not on and I must punish this? Um, a, A God who did not punish wrongdoing and evil would not be a good God. I wouldn't want to know him. And as we said, the objection to that is, well, I'm not that bad, but, but we're all really bad. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can't God just give me a second chance? Well, well no, heaven is a place of perfection. You don't want a scumbag like me mucking it up. A little bit of yeast destroys the whole batch, says Jesus about the Pharisees. Wouldn't that be true in heaven? Hell is a demand of justice. But finally, it's also a demand of love. We mentioned this last week. God God is the one who loves us eternally so much. And he wants us to respond to his love. He he says, "I I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to know me. But as the great lover, he's also the avenger of that love relationship. And so if we, if we stand and fight against his love, God will, God will act with jealous love against that. And the thing which amazes me about God's love is that he it, it actually is love, which means that he gives us the freedom to love him back and the freedom to not love him back. Um, if you think about it, you can't force somebody to love you. Those three girls over in the U- U.S., they were kidnapped. Um, they didn't escape and say, oh, I felt so loved. They escaped and said, lock him up. God doesn't kidnap us. He doesn't have the secret plan to lock us up in heaven whether we like it or not. He loves us. And and yes, he does everything to to win our hearts. He pursues us. I mean, look at what he did for us. But love which forces isn't love. Is hell a place of eternal punishment? I'm going to finish just about here. Do people suffer forever? Or are they destroyed forever? I just have a show of hands. Who, who here thinks, if you don't know, don't put up your hand. Um, who here thinks that in hell people suffer forever? Who, who here thinks that in hell um, people are destroyed forever. Okay. That's interesting. My hands were up for both of them. <laughs> there are scriptures that speak of both, and, and certainly the suffering forever, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, 
Uh, he speaks of hell as the place where the worm never dies and the fire is never extinguished. And, and so hell is definitely a thing that goes on for eternity. And some people will say, what is wrong with God? I did one little sin, I only lived 70 years, and all of my sin maybe adds up to two months. I'm a really, really good person. How on earth can God punish me for all eternity? This is a big question. And again, C.S. Lewis is fantastic. I love the way his mind works. Because he says, maybe we need to stop thinking of eternity as just time stretched out. So here's my life, and here's eternity, and it just goes on and on and on in one long line. C.S. Lewis says instead, uh, maybe eternity is more of a plane, more of a solid kind of thing. And, and our lives here on earth, this side of eternity, while we walk this earth, we are drawing the baseline for eternity. So here we are, we're drawing our lives, and then for eternity... The rest of the surface comes... Do you understand what I'm saying? No? Wow, that's terrible. This is really bad. Who's got a pen? Let me have a pen. Thank you. Who's got a whiteboard? Can I have a whiteboard? <laughs> so here we are. We normally think of our lives... From year zero when we're born to year 170, 133, I can do threes upside down, when we die. And then we think, oh, eternity, just more of the same. C.S. Lewis turns around and says, well, let's just reimagine eternity for a bit. So here is our life, and we are living our lives over there. Eternity is not just more of the same, it's it's like <clears throat> 3D. And so in eternity, it just stretches up forever and ever and ever. And so our lives here form the base of the rest of the square. And, and it stretches up forever and ever and it's eternal. But you know what the problem is? is well, it depends on, on how well we draw that first line. If you're anything like me, my life is like this. Try and draw a square from that. Your eternity is going to be seriously mucked up. Your eternity is going to be seriously mucked up. You're going to be in hell. And the miracle of the gospel, the miracle of the gospel is that Jesus comes and he just, if I had another colored pen, I'd show it to you. It's just like, okay, there's your line, but let's work off my line. Let's walk off my life. Let's, let's build your eternity, not on the basis of, of your mucked up square and your squiggling, Mr. Squiggle drawings. Let, let's, let's build your eternity based on what I have done. And so his line is this perfect line. And so in eternity, the square is this, well, it's more of a rectangle because it goes forever. It's just this incredible eternity with God forever. It's perfect. 
And, and so, is hell a place of eternal punishment? Well, yes, yes it is. It's also a place where we become less human because the, the faults of our lives become exaggerated into eternity. And so every time we act in a way that is less like Jesus and less human, that just gets amplified and amplified and amplified and, and we become less and less human while still being the same person. And it goes on forever and we suffer. And, but in, a, in another sense, our humanity is destroyed. And yet, we're still there. Some of us really wish we had long lives of 142 years or something. Isn't it a mercy that God cuts our life short if our eternity is based on that? Isn't it even more mercy that, that we get His line, Jesus' line for our eternity? That's, that's hell. That's hell. A place of punishment, a place of destruction, a place where, where we become less, less than less than what we were made to be. It's horrible. And Jesus spoke about it because Jesus, being God, doesn't want anyone to go there. He made us to be perfect like He is, and so... He, he did everything. He said, you can have my line. You can have my life. But there will come a time when the door is locked. You see, the good news that we can get Jesus' life means absolutely nothing. if our lives were good enough and if there was no hell. 